1: It is good to be able to come together to the house of the Lord to worship together. I love the song Yahweh that we sang. Some of you may not be familiar with that passage in Scripture where Moses asks God, "What is your name?" And the Lord replies to him that I. He says, "My name is I Am," and that is the Hebrew name Yahweh. It comes from the four Hebrew letters, the Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, and it's uh, this idea that God is eternal. God is existent he has always been he will always be he is the promise keeping God the one who never changes his word and that is something we can hold on to that the word of God is certain and sure and as we talk about the things of eternity as we talk about eternal life if God has spoken them and we believe he is Yahweh we can hold on to those as promises that give us hope and it keeps us going through the difficulties and the times of life. We are in our final week of this four week series that we have been in called heaven and hell and my goal in setting out to accomplish this series is not to look at any outside sources. I don't care what any person's experience has been. I don't care about what the latest books have been that have been written. I I don't care about anybody's stories of a near-death experience, whether you can believe those things or not. I just want to know, what does the Bible say? In particular, what did Jesus say about heaven and hell? We spent two weeks where we looked at the topic of hell from the perspective of Jesus. We spent last week looking at this idea of heaven, and today we're going to wrap this up with looking at Revelation chapter 21. Now, let me give you a little bit of the context of the story of Revelation, the book of Revelation. John was one of the apostles of Jesus. He was one who was extremely close to Jesus. He was one of the inner three that were in Jesus's inner circle of the twelve. John was a beloved disciple of Jesus. He was very, very close to Jesus. And John... Like all of the other disciples, was uh, they tried to put John to death. All of the disciples, by the way, died a martyr's death. It was uh, in some cases. Some of the stories are extremely painful to hear. Some are uh, torturous. Uh, They tried to kill John. They tried to. uh, Really, uh, church history says that they tried to boil him alive. John just wouldn't die. That was the problem they had with John. He wouldn't die. And so what they did was they isolated him and. Moved him to this island called Patmos, where he would live out the remainder of his life, really in isolation in most cases, there in that place. However, John, nearing the end of his life, had this had this revelation. He had an experience with God, where God either just showed John these experiences, or John, or, or, or God, because God exists outside of time and space, moved John to see these events firsthand. We don't know what really happened with John, but John gives an account out of the Book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is not in isolation because the book of Daniel mirrors a lot of what Revelation covers as well. So if you start looking and studying end times events, you're going to see from God's perspective that he gives multiple timelines and how they all line up. You have a heavenly view. That is the book of Revelation. You have a view of the end times antichrist beastly empire. That's the book of Daniel. You have the picture of of Israel and what's going on in Israel in the book of Ezekiel and then Jesus gives the timeline for the believer in him, the believer, the disciple in Jesus in the book of Matthew, he shows the events that will happen. If you match all of those things, it gives one cohesive picture of the end times events that happen. What I want to focus on today from what John had said was this picture of what eternity is going to be like for the believer in Jesus himself, what eternal, the eternal perspective is. Now, I want you to keep in mind that everything that John writes is a glimpse. Now, no eye has seen, no ear has heard everything God has planned. It's just a a flashing glimpse that God gives us of the eternal perspective. It's kind of like if you're driving, driving down the interstate at 80 miles per hour and you see something off in the distance and you just get a real glimpse of it. Maybe it's a, you're driving through Yellowstone and you see a grizzly bear, but it's like a flash and you just see it for a moment. That's kind of the picture we get of heaven. You get a glimpse, but that's about as much as we get. But that glimpse is enough to keep us intrigued to hold on to with hope what God has planned for us. So what I want to do by way of beginning, (laughs) Yeah. Is I want to read the first eight verses of Revelation 21, and then I want to come back and finish out the remaining points that we started last week about what God says about eternity, and then I want to close today with communion, and we're going to close with the remainder of Revelation 21, and we're just going to ponder on that as we enter into a time of communion. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. I'm in Revelation 21. I'm reading from the TL. V version, which is my favorite version, called the Tree of Life version. It's a Messianic Jewish version, which really puts a lot of Hebrew words in there that brings the, the picture to life. You can follow along on the screen if you want, and let's talk about this here today. So I'm just going to read these verses. I'm going to stop one, at one moment here. It starts in this way. Then I saw, John says, I saw a new heaven. And I, again, I want to notice these words. I saw a new heaven. I saw a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away. Now, I want to give you just quickly what that timeline looked like out of these events. So, I'm just going to take it from the time of where Jesus was Time of Jesus, his death upon the cross, right here from that moment on. When people die, they go to either heaven or they go to hell. That's what happens after people die. They go to heaven or hell. We have other events on this timeline, though, and that is called the end times events. So I'll just put an E there for end times events. This is a seven-year period. People debate this all the time. What's it going to be like? Is there a pre-tribulation rapture? Is there a mid-tribulation rapture? Is there a post-tribulation or called a pre-wrath rapture? We're not going to get into that today. Here's what I would tell you with that plan for a post tribulation rapture so that you're ready for it. You can hope, though, for a pre tribulation rapture. If you do that, you're going to be set. Hope for the pre trib, plan for the post trib, and you will be set. And there won't have to be any arguments. People argue over this point all the time, which is there are debates that can happen. I have strong opinions on it. We're not going to get into that, it does not matter. When it comes to this, just be prepared for the end, but hope for the beginning. That's all I can say for that. So in times events, seven years. Then at the end of the seven years, Jesus, it says, returns. After he returns, he sets up this what's called the 1000-year millennial reign of Jesus where he is in control here on this planet where he is in charge and the nations bow down to him. He is in control. It's a time of peace. It's the 1000-year reign. Of Jesus at the end of that thousand year reign where people have gone to heaven or people have gone to hell, there is something that happens at the very end of it called the great white throne judgment. That is, all people who have died will be brought before the throne of God billions and billions into the trillions of people will be brought before the throne of God and he will separate out one side from another. He calls it the, this great white throne. The sheep are separated from the, the goats. The sheep go to the right, the goats go to the left. The ones on the left go into what's called the lake of fire. So that is the ultimate thing that happens. We have, oh, that's the wrong, wrong side. We have the lake of fire. That's what happens. That's the first event that happens, that people are sent there. Then there is this thing called the new earth, the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. So when we're talking about heaven, we're talking about not just heaven, we're talking about what happens beyond that, the new that happens, the new earth, the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. So what is John talking about? He's saying, I'm seeing after the 1000 years of Jesus, exactly what's going to happen for the rest of existence. It's going to be brand new. It's a new heaven. It's a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth have passed away. The sea was no more. I also saw the holy city. So he brings up another another point here. He says, the new Jerusalem, I saw it coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I also heard a loud voice from the throne saying... Behold, the dwelling of God is among men, and he shall tabernacle among them. They shall be his people. God himself shall be among them and be their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, nor shall there be mourning or crying or pain any longer, for the former things have passed away. The one seated upon the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Then he said, write for these words are trustworthy and true. The one who overcomes shall inherit these things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But for the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable and the murderers and the sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their lot is in the lake that burns with fire. And brimstone, which is the second death. Let's pray as we get into this. Father God, we want to hear from you. We don't want to hear theories and opinions from outside sources. We don't want to just bring in whatever anybody in the culture says. We just want to know what you say and what your words will mean to us. I pray, Father, that this message today would give us an added sense of hope and peace as we look forward to you. Lord, we live in a world that is chaotic, it is falling apart ever more quickly, Satan is at work in a very real way, and we want to have hope in you that we can hang on to, that we can be overcomers and perseverers who will be with you for eternity. For the ones in here today, Lord, that are questioning, the ones in here today that feel like maybe they haven't done enough, maybe they haven't been good enough, I pray that you would give them hope that they could realize and know that it's not about them, it's all about you and the work that you have done on the cross. It is finished, and we can partake of that work. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiving us, though we don't deserve it. Thank you that you have made a way for us to have a relationship with you that we can be with you for eternity. Lord, we love you. And now we want to hear from you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what I've tried to accomplish again through this series is just to give you a little bit of a glimpse of what the Bible says. The Bible says about hell, some of these things that are clear reminders. Jesus said, the way is broad, the path is wide, it's going to be an easy way that leads to destruction, but the path is narrow, the way is difficult, it's going to lead to eternal life. This past week, we had a, a neat experience. My son and I, along with uh, Pastor Steven and his wife, Brittany, we, have, we went to uh, the Thursday night Broncos game. Now, it was painful to go to the Thursday night Broncos game. Uh, they're, I, I don't know, maybe more of a college team this year than they are a pro team this year. But it was a lot of fun to be able to go to this event. But what I found myself thinking amongst, uh, amongst seventy like three thousand people who were screaming at the top of their lungs, who were uh, throwing all kinds of of curse words, who were getting angry, who were drinking themselves silly uh, into the point of um, uh, being foolish or fools in the way that they were acting. I started thinking how many of this group is headed for heaven? How many is headed for hell? And I started to think very few are choosing the path of life and most people choose the path of, Of death. They choose a path of destruction. And in so doing, the Bible says what that's going to be like. Jesus himself said these things about hell. It's a real place with a real existence. It's a place of emotional and physical pain. It's a place of outer darkness where the goodness of God, the grace, the common grace of God does not exist. Hell is a place of continuous suffering and regret, it is an eternal destination. It's described as a place of torment, of pain and suffering. You're going to immediately know your fate upon your death in hell. People will know what's going on in heaven, but they will not be able to get there. They will have hurt in their hearts for people that are, haven't died yet that they know, but they cannot warn them in any way. They will not be able to pass from where they are are, to paradise. It is an eternal destination that they're going to have. That's what God describes hell is going to be like, this place of outer darkness, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But we don't see that in heaven. In heaven, we see exactly the opposite. Whereas God is not there with them in heaven, God is with you. We learned some points last week. Let me quickly recap those points. We learned number one. That Jesus refers to heaven as a paradise. It's a real literal place. To the thief on the cross, he said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. So it's a real literal place that Jesus described. We learned last week that paradise is a place prepared and reserved for the righteous who do the will of God. Matthew seven twenty one: Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's the one who does the will of my Father in heaven, Jesus says. Well, what is God's will? Jesus clarifies that. John 6:40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and trusts in him may have eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. What was that? What is the requirement? What's the will of God? You see the Son and you put your trust in him. You don't physically see him. You spiritually are seeing him. You're recognizing him. You're realizing what he has done. You put your trust in him. This is the will of God. If you do that, paradise is a place for you. Number three, paradise is an enormous place. Multiple millions in the billions of people can exist in the place that he described as this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, which is a tremendous amount of hope. Jesus said in John 14, in my father's house, there are many, many rooms, many dwelling places, many, what we learned last week, insula. If it were not, so I would have told you, but it is so, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to bring you back because you know the way where I am going. Number four, we learned that paradise is a place of joy and reward. Jesus says in Matthew 25, those who were part of his kingdom go into the wedding feast. Those who do that have a tremendous sense of joy and they enter into the presence of God, the joy of God. Number five, last week we learned that it is a place of treasures. Don't store up for yourselves, Jesus said. Things on this earth, treasures on this earth that moth and rust are going to destroy. Instead, store up for yourselves things in heaven, treasures in heaven, because that's going to matter for eternity. Today, I'm going to finish the final final six points, and I I know six sounds like a lot of points. I'm going to run through these quickly, so listen fast, because I'm going to cover these things fast. Number six... This week, looking at Revelation 21, paradise is a place of no more fear. And I just want you to note this. It's a place where there is no more fear. How do we know this? I want you to notice the words in Revelation 21, verse 1, of what John said. And this is something that goes missed by most people when they read it, but I want to I highlight it for you. It says this, It says, then I saw a new heaven, I saw a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And notice these words, and the sea, the sea was no more. Why would he throw this little note in there about the sea? Why would we care that the sea is no more? I want you to put yourselves in the mind of an ancient first century person who would have heard these words or read these words. The sea in the first century represented everything dark and evil in the world. Do you know that first century people would rarely go out into the sea? In fact, most ancient shipwrecks are found along the coasts because they would not venture out very far into the sea. The only ones that would ever cross the sea were the large grain ships that would travel from country to country, but most fishermen and merchants and people would only hug the coast because they thought that in the sea, that's where destruction happened. My first thought is this, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean, it is the kraken that is somewhere underneath the sea that is going to raise up and bring, and that's what they thought. And so the sea always represented death and hell and sin and darkness. For God to say there is no more sea, God was saying this, there's no more death and hell and sin and darkness. There's no more destruction. I am wiping out everything that you fear in life. I got into scuba diving about like 25 years ago, and I haven't done it in quite some time, but I remember after doing all the training for the scuba diving, getting my certifications, we went on a trip to the Bahamas to go scuba diving, and the people that I was with thought that it would be a brilliant idea, I don't know why, but they thought it would be a brilliant idea to go out in the night and do a night dive. Now, we had dove during the day we had actually dove with sharks during the day that was scary enough and now I'm thinking okay we are going to go in the middle of the night with only the moonlight and put all of our equipment on and we are going to backwards roll off of a safe boat into the dark murky ocean that is there before us the unending ocean spread out before us I don't know what is under there what is going to eat me well, because I'm a man, I won't back down. If they say they're going to, I won't show fear, but I will go forward with this because men are stupid, and that's what we do. <laughs> so, I go out, roll off the back, have a little, like, they give us like a little pin light, like a little pin flashlight. This will keep you safe, a little pin light. <laughs> Roll off the back of it into the depths of the ocean. We go down to the bottom of the ocean. We all turn all of our lights off. And then because of the moonlight, if you move your hands, you can see the, the, the phosphorescence that's floating in the ocean. It's really kind of cool. But it was a scary, scary event. And that is what the sea represents. God says there's no more fear No more darkness, no more see that everything that represented evil, it's not there. I have removed it from you. So heaven is a place that you will never fear again. You will never be consumed with fear. You'll never have anxiety. It will never overwhelm you. You won't have all of that stuff because that's what heaven is. It is a place, God says, of no more fear. Number seven, paradise is a place that is completely new and beyond our comprehension. We can't understand this. Look at the next words, Revelation 21, verse 2. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, As a, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. From heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her her husband. One of the things about weddings that seems to have lost its, its uh, importance is one of the things I would like to get us back to. And that is, that is this concept and this idea that on the day of the wedding, that grooms will not see their brides. How many of you had that experience when you got married? I didn't see my wife on the day I got married. So we've kind of lost that a little bit. Most of it has been because of the sake of pictures and all of that. But there's something special about that day. A, a bride getting ready for this special day. Now, the brides, they go through all kinds of stuff. And the grooms, if you don't see them, you don't know what they're going through. For the men, it takes you about mm, five minutes to get ready for the wedding, okay? You may you take a shower, at least, and you comb your hair, if you have it, and then you're ready for the wedding, the bride, it takes hours and hours and hours because they get their hair done, and their hair is just beautiful, and it's, it's extreme, and it's wonderful, and then they get their nails done, and the nails look just spectacular, and it takes an hour to do the nails, and, and then they, they probably haven't eaten for the past 4 months and so they've starved themselves during that time because they want to fit into that that $1000 several thousand dollar wedding dress And the guys, you don't see them, and and here we cover the windows. And so here, the windows are covered, so the bride will line up, and the guy will be standing up here, and they'll throw the doors open, and he'll see the bride for the very first time of the day, and I cannot tell you how many times that these tough men just break down in tears, because they see their bride for the very first time of that day. With all of the dress, and they maybe haven't seen the dress ever before, and the nails, and the hair, and the, the makeup, and it's just incredible. That's a glimpse of what God says is going to, going to happen. God is going to throw the doors open, and you're going to see it like a bride for the very first time, and it's going to be overwhelming. When my wife and I got married, this was 30, almost, yeah, 32 years ago now, I didn't see her that entire day. And once the door was opened and I saw her coming down for the very first time as a young, you know, a young man, you know, uh, a friend of mine uh, this week sent me a note saying uh, that I was a stud muffin, uh, that I was 10% stud and 90% muffin is the problem. So, but that, at that time, that was not the case, okay? I, the doors throw open, I see my wife coming and I am just overwhelmed. I cried, I bawled through the entire ceremony because it was so powerful and it was so meaningful in that event, in that moment. And God said, this is heaven. Heaven is going to come down like a bride. The doors are thrown open. You see it. It's going to be overwhelming. This incredible picture, this place that is beyond our comprehension, completely new. So think of everything we know and then it's brand new. New communicates that it's never been seen before, never been done before, never been had before. Everything we think about with heaven is nothing like that. It's all brand new. Number eight, paradise is a place that God will dwell with his people. Do you know that this is a return to what paradise was like for Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they were there, God walked with them. God was with them. He was part of their lives. They interacted with God. When sin entered the picture, God could no longer be around them. The holy God cannot be around sin at all. We have to be made holy in order to be in his presence and in his place. And we are made holy by the blood of Jesus, by the forgiveness of the sins that he does in our lives. When he was there, he walked with them. He talked with them. He was in their presence, and we will be in the presence of God. Behold, John writes, the dwelling of God is among men, and he shall tabernacle among them. The word tabernacle means to dwell with. He will dwell with. He will set up camp among the people. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them and be their God. That is who he is going to be he will be in the presence of people in paradise number nine it is a place where there is no more death mourning crying or pain john writes this revelation 21 4 god shall wipe away every tear from their eyes death shall be no more Nor shall there be mourning or crying or pain any longer for the former things have passed away why why could there possibly be tears in heaven well, one, you may be thinking about the people who did not get there. Maybe you're thinking even about children who did not get there and how heartbreaking that would be. Maybe you're thinking about friends or other family members that are not there. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a reason for tears. I believe God will wipe those away. He'll give us his understanding and his mind as it comes to why the choices they had, how they did not do this, and you will understand from his perspective. But really... One of the things that could create pain is just regret. Regret of my life. Why didn't I use it better? Why why didn't I work for him more? Why didn't I serve him more? Why didn't I love him more, reach out more? That could be another reason for the tears that might happen there. But God promises this all of those tears, all of that pain, all of that crying, all of that mourning, it's gone. It'll never be again. They have all passed away. So there's hope, and we can keep looking at him for that hope. Number 10, paradise paradise is an inheritance that the follower of God can look forward to. Revelation 21, 8. And the one seated upon the throne said this, and again, note these words. Behold, I am making all things new. Then he said, write... For these words are trustworthy, and they are true. The one who overcomes shall inherit. You will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You have an inheritance. And God, by nature, being Yahweh, I am makes promises and the promises he makes are true and you can hold on to those and they are trustworthy. That's what gives us hope. You don't hope in the world. You hope in the promises God has made and those promises he said are trustworthy and true. And I will hold on to those as an inheritance. And we can look forward to that. That is, that's what gives the believer hope. That's what gives you hope that the words of Jesus are true that I can hold on to those and that I have a future that I can look forward to. We don't hope in the world. We don't hope in the economy. We don't hope in a president. We don't hope in uh, elected officials. We don't hope in, in uh, the environment. We hope in God and we hang on to that hope and we look forward to that hope in eternity with him. So, All these things about paradise are incredible. But what I want to end with today is this, that paradise is a place of immense beauty. So what I want to do is we are going to take communion together. If you did not get a little communion cup as you walked in, we have a basket in the back and we have a couple of volunteers who are going to jump up and grab those for you. If you did not get a communion cup, would you please just put your hand up and Grant and Terry will pass those out to you here today. I want to end with this, the rest of Revelation 21. And I don't want to give much commentary on this. I just want to let the words hit us as we go into this time and this preparation for celebrating communion at the end of this four-part series. We don't have to look to hell. We can look to heaven. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have seen him and trusted in him, You have eternal life with him, and that's what gives you hope. Don't fear hell. Look forward to heaven. As we look forward to heaven, realize that it is a place of immense beauty. As we prepare for communion, let's just read through this and just notice the words. And again, I'm not going to do a lot of commentary. I just want you to hear the words of God about the new that he is creating. John writes this, then came one of the seven angels holding the seven bowls full of the seven final plagues. That's the end times events. And he spoke with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Who's the bride? Who's the wife of the lamb? That is the church, the real church, the people who have accepted Jesus into their lives. Then the angel carried me, John, John, Away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This is what's prepared for the believers having the glory of God, her radiance like a most precious stone, like a jasper sparkling like crystal. She had a great high wall with 12 gates, and above the 12 gates there were 12 angels. On the gates were inscribed the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel speaking with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square, its length the same as its width. He measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia, that, remember, from last week, 1,500 miles. Its length, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high, they're equal. He also measured the wall. There was a wall surrounding it, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The material of the city's wall was jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. You know, it's amazing to me that what God uses for street material, like asphalt, is the thing that we in this world find the most precious. The foundations of the city wall were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire. The the third, uh, Chalcedony. The fourth, Emerald. The fifth, Sardonyx. The sixth, Carnelian. The seventh, Yellow Topaz. The eighth, Beryl. The ninth, Topaz. The tenth, uh, Chrysophrase. The eleventh, Jacinth. The twelfth, Amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. This is where they get the idea of the pearly gates. Each of the gates was from a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold. Transparent as glass. In other words, completely refined to perfection. I saw I I saw no temple in her, as has always been in Jerusalem. I saw no temple, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God lights it up, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nation shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory into it. Its gate shall never be shut by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring it into it the glory and the honor of the nations. And nothing unholy shall ever enter it, nor anyone doing what is detestable or false, but only those written in the book of life. The good news that we can look forward to in eternity is that we will be with God if our name is written in the book of life. How do you get your name written in the book of life? Well, Jesus says it this way. It's those who do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? Those who see the Son and trust the Son. They're the ones that get eternal life. Your name is written in the book of life if you have trusted in Jesus. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to earn your way there. You don't have to perform your way there. You don't have to ritualize your way there. You simply have to trust in Jesus. Saying, I'm going to put my faith in you, Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to forgive my sins. And I want to follow you with my life. It's not about where you go to church. It's not about how many songs you sing. It's not how much money you give. It's simply between you and the Lord have you trusted in him. And when you make that decision, the angels rejoice and your name is in the book of life. And if your name is in the book of life, the paradise that he has described in the Bible is set up. And waiting for you. A paradise that is beyond our comprehension. A paradise that is more than we can possibly imagine. The glory of being with God, worshiping him, of fellowshipping together in paradise is what he has in store for us. With that, we want to take communion here today. And we have the privilege of sharing in the Lord's Supper together this morning. So if you have one of the little communion cups, make sure you just grab that. And we're going to peel back that little top layer. And I'm going to read, uh, and you can expose that little wafer that is in there. And I'm going to read this morning an invocation and an invitation, and then the Word of God as well. Listen to this invocation Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now the invitation. All you who truly and earnestly repent of your sins and are in love and fellowship with your neighbors and intend to live a new life following the commandments of God and walking from this day forward in his holy ways, draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort. In Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 19, Jesus says this, or it says this about Jesus. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you that I will not, I've lost my place here. All right. I say to you, Uh, okay, where are we at? For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he had taken a cup and given thanks. And he said, take this among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents the body of our Lord Jesus, body that was Pierced and crucified for you so that you may have life. He took upon himself the punishment that each one of us deserves, and he did it out of a love for each one of you. As we partake of the bread, remember that the body of the Lord Jesus was given on your behalf. You may partake. All right, if you peel back the layer that is the juice. The juice that you have in your hand represents the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. It does two things. It covers us. It's the covering of the blood of Jesus, but it also transforms us from the inside out. We have to have the covering effect of the blood of Jesus and the transformational effect of what he does and how he changes us from the inside. As you partake of the juice, remember that it's his blood that set you free. You may partake. Would you please pray with me? Father, we want to come before you and thank you that we do not have to fear hell, that we can look forward to eternity with you in what you describe as paradise. Not just heaven, but we can look forward to down the road what's going to happen is the new that you're going to create. Something new that is spectacular, that is beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. We just get a little glimpse as we drive by at 100 miles an hour, but we are going to see one day the doors are going to swing open, and we are going to see the bride prepared for us. Thank you, Father, for that opportunity to be with you for eternity I pray, Father, that there would be a sense of comfort in our hearts, hope in our hearts, and urgency to lead other people to you. It's not by works that save us. It is by your grace and your grace alone. And help us, Lord, to shout that to people who desperately need to know it. Father, we thank you for meeting with us today. Be with us now as we, in a few minutes, leave this place. Help us to go out into this community and bring the hope of Jesus to everyone we encounter. We thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for checking out
0: that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys. And thanks for listening to this message.